Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Perfect hymn to lead us now to page 7, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All men are like grass, their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Amen, let's pray. Lord, would you convince our weary souls and a weary community, that you are a keeper, that you have us, that you are our help when we look to the heavens and cry, where is help? Your answer is your beloved son. So fill our hearts with hope and assurance, comfort and love. And may we leave here in full confidence that every moment our lives are coming, are going, are sleeping, when we feel you, when we don't, every moment of our lives, you are there as our keeper. Jesus, thank you that you have secured that promise, and I pray this in your name. Amen. As Will uh, alluded to earlier, he already mentioned, and we have already prayed um, this week. For those uh, not a part of our community, maybe visiting, don't know this, but I'm assuming probably most everybody does know this. Um, This week our church opened an independent investigation into allegations uh, that came to me um, regarding past historic uh, abuse, alleged abuse that took place in the 90s um, within ministries of TCPC. This sermon is not going to be about that specifically, uh, for many reasons. Uh, one is we, we've got um, you know we're without nursery right now, and I want to be sensitive to little ears. Um, but I, I did think that um, the circumstances um, require me to pause where we are in Acts and offer some perspective and encouragement, much needed encouragement to our community from God's Word. 
um, along with those I, I recognize are probably watching in this morning. Again, I'm not going to talk about the investigation uh, for many reasons. Uh, the, the, the main reason is that at this point, there's nothing to say that is not in our statement. You're welcome to read the statement if you haven't read the statement. But I did want to very briefly, before we get into the passage, reiterate something that was in the statement that speaks to the biggest question that I am getting uh, at this point, um, the most common question that is coming my way. Unlike our previous investigation, uh, this time our church is the first to come forward with these allegations. We were the first to receive those allegations, and so we're the first to come forward with what, what has come, come to our attention. And I completely understand that that dynamic has an added intensity and anxiety for a, a church community. What I do want to assure us of is that, um, and those listening, is that we would never, ever be doing this if we did not, if we did not view these allegations as credible. They are allegations, but we view them as credible. I can't go into the details of why we view them as credible. Uh, once the investigation is complete and the findings are released, you will, you will see for yourself why we view them as credible. But I will simply repeat this morning what I said in, in my statement this week. Because of the source of the allegations and corroborating evidence that we have discovered, we do view this as credible and worthy of an investigation. And what everyone needs to know about our church, about the leadership of TCPC, is that we will never ignore and certainly not withhold from the public um, allegations of abuse that we view credible. I, I get that. It's scary. I get that it comes at a cost. But love and justice and, and getting to the truth are always worth the cost. So, with that said... Um, Moving to what I really want to go to this morning is that, um, especially if, if you have been around our church for a long time and you have known this community and you're with us during the first investigation and, and um, perhaps are weary, um, I just felt the need of, of we, need, we need an extra measure of encouragement this morning. We need our God. We need um, his scriptures. We need his promise, comfort, hope. We need in this hour what only God can provide. And I certainly needed that week, and where I found that was Psalm 121. Um, I, would, I would like to offer to our community what was my consolation this week. Um, offer that to our community in general and to survivors of any and all forms of abuse, inside, outside the church, whatever. Just to survivors of uh, traumatic abuse and to our community that is entering into this, once again, the comfort of Psalm 121 this morning. And I want to do that in two ways. First, I just want Psalm 121 to convince us all that we do need help. And then secondly, I want Psalm 121 to convince us that God is that help. Very simple. First, let me try to convince you that you need help. Verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills... From where does my help come? This is David looking to the Judean mountains, rhetorically pondering the question of all question, where does my help come from? Where is help? 
Now, we don't know, um, contextually speaking, we don't know the trouble that uh, David is facing in this psalm. And some of the psalms we do, and this one we don't. And in some ways, I'm thankful for that. Because this question lingers in the ambiguity of affliction so that all of us, no matter what we're going through, can find ourselves in this psalm, no matter what sorrow we bear this morning. Or perhaps you don't think you can find yourself in this psalm. The psalms are written uh, in a context and among a people where suffering and affliction was commonplace. But I will grant that our context is different. When you consider the progress and the affluence and the conveniences of the modern world, moments of looking up to the heavens in desperation and crying out for help, like we see David do here in Psalm 121, those moments of crying to the heaven tend to be the exception, not the norm. In Scripture, it's flipped. In Scripture, crying out to the heavens for God's help is the norm, not the exception. But that's not our context, and I understand that. Now, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should bless God for that. Uh, We certainly shouldn't feel guilty about it. But we dare not be deceived by it. Lulled into a false sense of comfort. It is a very bad sign when the Psalms become a foreign language to God's people. When we read these heartfelt cries for rescue, for comfort, for deliverance from our enemies, these these poignant laments over the futility of a fallen world, when that becomes unfamiliar to us or even unnecessary to us, then we know we have been blinded by the vanity of prosperity. Simply put, we aren't seeing things clearly if we don't see our need for help. Now, some of you do not need convincing right now. Some of you are right here with David in his desperation, screaming to the heavens, where's help? Where does my help come from? But the greater point I'm making is that all of us should be there whether we recognize it or not. And you can be there if you are willing to tell the truth about yourself. If you are willing to tell the truth about your story, you can get there very quickly. There is something we are all tempted to do that the Psalms tell us we ought not to do. Neglect our neediness. Our modern therapeutic word for that is suppression. Suppression is very alluring. Alluring because it offers a a false sense of comfort. It's so painful to think about it that we simply choose not to do so. And I understand. And to be honest, sometimes as a sort of surviving in this world, that's a necessary thing. But listen, ignoring the cancer doesn't stop the cancer from growing. It's there. It's real. And in due time, it will manifest itself in your life. The only way to heal is to first admit it's real. There is no room for suppression in the Psalms. 
They are brutally honest with our condition. And I want to invite us this morning to join the Psalms in that brutal honesty. Don't run from your sorrow any longer. Don't shame your neediness any longer. Admit it. Own it. Disturbing though it may be, admit that you need help. And then answer David's question. From where will your help come from? I'll tell you where you will be tempted to look for help. You'll be tempted to look inward. Trusting in your own sufficiency, strength, fortitude. If you ask our, if you ask our culture the, the question that David asked in Psalm 121, where does my help come from? You will receive a self-help answer. It is a billion-dollar industry trying to help people help themselves. Even Christianity has bought into a God-helps-those-who-helps-themselves model. Meaning God advises, He gives you the blueprint to help yourself, He tells you what to do, how to overcome, how to rescue yourself, but ultimately, you help yourself. Will and I, on a Friday... Uh, it was a heavy week. It was a heavy week. It was an exhausting week. It was a, it, it, you know, it was a tough week. And so we cleared our calendars and went and played golf. And Will is a, a very good golfer. I'm a very average golfer. So it's very rare that, uh, that I'm close to beating him. Um, but, but on 18 this week, uh, it came down to the last putt, um, I'm happy to say. And so our balls are both next to each other. And we've got... Um, Big, long putts, 20-foot putts, um, and I have to make it. And, um, and so Will uh, very graciously said, hey, let me help you out. He said, I'll putt first so you can get a read. Uh, if you don't know golf, you know, you watch a putt and you can see how the ball rolls, and then you can say, okay, I know how it's going to roll, and it helps. It helps, right? He's going to help me. So let me help you out. I'll go first so you can get a read. Gets up there. He gave me the read because it went in the hole. I said, that's not very helpful, Will. <laughs> and then, of course, I missed the putt and, you know, so forth. That's self-help Christianity. Let me tell you how it's done. Let me show you what to do. And then you got to do it. And you can't do it. I can't hit a 20-foot putt. I'm not as good as him. I needed him to make the putt on my behalf. That's gospel. You should have given me that score if you're a Christian. <laughs> And what this looking inward to ourselves, what this self-help model of a culture, what this self-help Christianity thing does, is it ultimately yields a looking downward. Because quite frankly, you're no help to yourself. You can try to convince others and yourselves all you want that you have what it takes to help yourself, but it's a lie. And your anxiety is testifying that this is so. At the root of your anxiety is the sobering realization that you can't help yourself. You can't fix this. You can't control this. You can't protect. You can't defend. You can't help yourself. Those who look inward are destined to look downward. No hope, no help, 
only despair and despondency. There is another way. You don't have to look inward and downward. You can follow the guide of Psalm 121 and lift up your eyes. I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? David says, my help comes from the Lord. Let me try to convince you. Not only that you need help, but also that God alone is our help. This is the purpose of Psalm 121. David is resolute, okay? He has found his help. The first two verses are his declaration. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And then the rest of the psalm, he moves away from introspective language about himself, and he is speaking, he is really pleading to all of us. See the change in verse 3, he moves from where does my help come from, my language, to in verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who watches over you will not sleep. He's evangelizing, trying to convince us that God alone is where we should look for help. So let's consider his words. When you are looking for help, you're looking for two things. The ability to help and willingness to help. If someone has the ability to help, but they are unwilling to help, then they cannot help you. If someone is willing to help, but they don't have the ability to help, then they can't help you. But according to David, the Lord perfectly fulfills both of these requirements in Psalm 121. Of course, God has the ability to help. Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. When you have creator in heaven of earth in your resume, that qualifies you as someone able to help. Why does he add that little description? He is saying, the one I am trusting to help happens to be the creator of all things. That qualifies him as our helper. But I don't think that it's his ability to help that we struggle with. We struggle to believe the second half of this is willingness to help. In fact, it's precisely that he is indeed the creator of heaven and earth that we doubt his willingness to get involved. After all, why would God be concerned with me? Do you care about the existence of an ant? You see crossing the sidewalk? Do you care about the plight of a single blade of grass in a vast field? These images don't even begin to express the infinite disparity between God and man, between the creator of heaven and earth and we, the inhabitants of earth. We tiny little specks upon a tiny little planet within a seemingly insignificant solar system within a galaxy that is just one of billions upon billions of galaxies that the triune God spoke into in existence and is in this very moment sustaining its existence. And we are to presume that that same God cares, much less wants to get involved in our insignificant troubles. Now listen, the Bible recognizes that. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We just said it, all men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, flowers fall. James says, your life is a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. The Bible does not deny our smallness. But here is where the news becomes so good it almost takes your breath away. The same Bible also proclaims that the creator cares. 
In fact, he cares with an unrivaled intimacy and concern. The one who should care least cares most. And this is where the psalm takes us. Look at the level of intimacy in David's words. This intimate concern of the creator of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Isn't that astounding? He will never take a moment off. He doesn't need a break. He doesn't even need sleep. There is not one second of your existence where he is not fixated upon you. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Have you ever tried to get away from your shadow? That's the point here. You can't get away from God. He is as fixed to you as your shadow on a sunny day. And it's not just that he is there as a feel-good companion. He's there with you and he's at work keeping you, protecting you from all harm. It says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Day or night, it doesn't matter. You're going out, you're coming in. It doesn't matter. He is keeping you. I love that language. That's the word that I clung to this week. Six times in this short psalm, we find the word keep. He doesn't just watch over his people. He keeps us. He doesn't just come when you need him or even want him. He constantly keeps you. You don't keep hold of him. He keeps you. So here's the fullest picture we get from David in Psalm 121. The omnipotent, transcendent, sovereign creator of heaven and earth, that's ability, is simultaneously, intimately, steadfastly, unwaveringly at all times keeping his people from all harm. That's his willingness. Absolutely glorious, if it's true. But I think even the most seasoned saint struggles at times to believe it's true. At least not to the extent that Psalm 121 speaks of. Why? Because quite frankly, the story of our life, the circumstances of our life, seem to tell a different story than Psalm 121, do they not? As if 2020 isn't enough, here we are opening another investigation regarding alleged abuse that allegedly took place in a ministry of our church. Got that news this week, literally just started crying. This cannot be real, God. And every single one of you have your own, this can't be real, God, circumstance. So, let's put it, let's put Psalm 121 to the test with our honesty. The Lord is our keeper. It feels like nobody has me. The Lord will neither slumber nor sleep. It feels like he's checked out. He's gone to sleep on me. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. It feels like I am, I am in a total tailspin. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Evil is prevailing everywhere around me. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Really, I feel completely forsaken of God. So we have Psalm 121 telling us one thing. 
and we have our story, our circumstances, at least our interpretation of our circumstances telling us something else. What do we do with that? Here is where looking up to God necessarily invokes faith, trust, and surrender. Where does your help come from? If that answer is God, then you have chosen a help whose ways are not your ways, who has a perspective that you are not privy to, who has desires for you that may not line up with your desires for you. And if you want his help, then you are going to have to, you're going to, have to let him help on his terms, not yours. The good news about looking to God for help is that he's God and knows infinitely more than you what is best for you. The scary news about looking to God for help is that he's God and knows infinitely more than you what is best for you. I remember when one of my children was throwing a fit because um, he was so hungry, he was hangry. We call it hangry, he was just hangry in our house. So I gave him something to eat. And he said, that's not what I wanted. I said, well, what do you want? Quote, I want candy for breakfast, pizza for lunch, and candy for dinner, please. Okay. Well, I said, because I love you, because I am committed to caring for you, well, I would never do that. If you want me to feed you, if you're asking me to feed you, you're going to have to eat what I give you. Could it be that within our cries for help, we don't even know what help looks like? Could it be that the capacities of the finite cannot comprehend the designs of the infinite's help? It's okay, by the way. I didn't, I didn't get mad at him for wanting candy and pizza. He's just being honest. I'm not going to shame him for that. I understand that's what he wants. He's being honest with his own desires. But at the same time, I care way too much about him to do things his way. So to join David in lifting our eyes to God for help is an act of surrender. Where we choose to let God be God and help us on his own terms. But, and this is very important, it is not blind trust. We have good reason to surrender to the Lord's help. God has demonstrated definitively that he is worthy of our trust, that he does care, that he is willing to get involved, that our cries for help have not been ignored. Again, look at the word, keep, that is so prominent. The Lord will keep. The Lord is your keeper. Keep, keep, keep all over the psalm. Do you know what verse I kept thinking about as I dwelled on the word keep? From our New Testament reading, he who did not spare his own son, but what gave him up for us all. The only person who ever looked to the heavens in a Psalm 121 way, the only person who ever lifted their eyes to God, creator of heaven and earth, with sincere cry for help, but was in turn not kept by God, but instead given up by God, was his only begotten son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Answer, so that I can keep them. So that Psalm 121 is no longer wishful thinking. 
but a concrete, certifiable, undeniable, blood-bought truth that you can bank your everlasting soul upon. So we may not understand His help, but because of Calvary, we never have to doubt His help. We may not be able to grasp His ways, but we do know what His ways are not. It can't be that He doesn't care because He cared enough to give up His Son. It can't be that he doesn't love because he loved enough to get up, give up his son. It can't be that he is, um, isn't committed. He is so committed that he gave up his son. Don't you see? We may not be able to understand Psalm 121, but because of Jesus, we know Psalm 121 is true. He has you, Christian. He has us, TCPC. No matter the circumstances, no matter the sorrow, no matter the suffering, and yes, no matter the abuse. And statistically, there's a lot of it in this room. No matter your feelings, Psalm 121 remains truer than your feelings. And Psalm 121 says again and again, the Lord will keep you. Wouldn't that change things? If you knew down in the depths of your core, if you internalized, believed, and stood upon that truth, that God has me, would that not change you? Can't we endure anything if we know for certain that he has us and he will keep us? We don't need him to fix our lives as much as we just need to be assured that he will keep our lives. Well, in Jesus, we know for certain that Psalm 121 cannot fail. Thus the Lord shall keep you. He has you. And every time you doubt that, Like David lifted his eyes to the hills, you lift your eyes to the hill, the hill of Calvary, where God gave up his son that he might keep you forever. Let me pray. Fill us with assurance. You promised that when we eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So proclaim to us that hill where you gave up your son, so that when we look to that hill, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will keep us. Feed our souls with that truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.